As we get started this morning, I invite you to take out a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. It's good to have everybody here with us this morning. As I look across the crowd, we have some extra faces with us, some extra people that are here, uh, perhaps to be in town. Um, perhaps you worship with one of the other congregations in town and you're here today uh, worshiping with your children and so that they can take you out to lunch. I mean, show you appreciation later on today. Uh, we're glad to have everybody here. Uh, we also have one extra face that I saw come in just a little while ago. It's good to have Linda back with us from Florida until the winter. Yes. Okay. Sometimes she drops down to Florida for a little while, then comes back and then goes down for a few months. And I just wanted to make sure that wasn't going to happen on the back. Come back to Ohio for a little while, then back to Florida. And then it's just teasing us, toying with us. It's good to have you back. Good to have everyone here this morning. Um, It is Mother's Day, and I do want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. Um, These kinds of occasions, be it Mother's Day, Father's Day, the holidays approaching, whatever you may have, always present kind of an interesting choice for me. As to whether or not I'm going to preach lessons that will, you know, hover around that subject or address it directly. Um, When it's Father's Day, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Just kind of whether I feel like it or not. That's about as much thought that goes into it. On Mother's Day, the choice is a little bit more deliberate. Um, Sometimes I do preach those sermons, and I enjoy getting to preach those sermons. Because you get to show appreciation for... Um, such important Christians as the moms in our lives. But every now and then, a Mother's Day comes by and I choose not to preach a sermon about moms on that day. That's because I know that for some of you, not only can this holiday be bittersweet, because you think of perhaps your your mom who has passed on and you miss, uh, but then I think also how for some ladies, Mother's Day is more bitter than sweet. Because for one reason or another, despite how much they may perhaps wish they could be a mom, they cannot. And so Mother's Day rolls around and they know they've got to prepare themselves for 35, 45 minutes of talking about moms and all the emotions that may come along with that. I don't profess to understand women. Seven years of marriage, I still haven't a clue. Um... But at least it's my judgment that perhaps every now and then allowing a Mother's Day to come by without focusing on that so much allows the, 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 the sister in Christ who perhaps has that on her heart, especially on a day like today, a bit of peace and a bit of break. So last, uh, last Mother's Day, we did talk about moms. We looked at Proverbs chapter 31 and talked about the... the um, and the importance and of, of, of women of, of courage and strong character. Um, today, we're just going to look at Philippians chapter 2. We'll talk about a subject that I've titled Individual Responsibility. And I hope the lesson's a blessing to you. I will say individual responsibility is a thing most mothers know quite a few things about. So if you want to consider it a Mother's Day sermon from, from that perspective, you go right ahead. But I am uh, directing this one towards, towards all of us. So Philippians chapter 2. In chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says in verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's a very popular passage. It's a very thought-provoking scripture. You could use this text and teach any number of different lessons. It's a verse that talks about God working in us and accomplishing his desires through us. But it's also a passage that reminds us of our own individual responsibility before God. Because what Paul teaches the Philippian brethren here is that they need to work out their own salvation. The implication in what he's saying is that even though God is working in us, as he also says, and working through us to accomplish his task, it is not apart from our own responsibility to be the kind of people who conform to what God's teaching says. Ultimately, what you and I can look forward to is the salvation of our souls and all of those blessings that Jesus Christ procured for us through his death on the cross. But it does come down to as well us exercising the free will that God has given us to do the things that he has told us to do. And so in that sense, he says to work out your salvation, not work it out as in you can make salvation happen of your own accord, but salvation is something you have to be active in. Jesus Christ, of course, has done the impossible. He's done the heaviest of heavy liftings. But you and I still have to come to him. We have to obey him, live faithfully before him. Or as Paul puts it here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So this morning... In our time together, I want to emphasize that each person is personally responsible before God for whether or not they're going to take hold of the blessings of salvation He has made possible and He offers. Which means, first of all, since we are individually responsible before God, that the sins of someone else cannot condemn you. This is one of the positive aspects about this. I don't know if we spend that much time thinking about this, but the fact that you and I have our own individual responsibility before God means something very good. It means that another person's sinfulness does not somehow mean that I'm going to come under judgment as far as God is concerned. I won't fail because of somebody else's feelings. As it happens, that's a principle That is emphasized by God even back in the Old Testament. It is true that with the Israelites, if you think about their system and how God dealt with them throughout their history, God had to deal with them to some extent on a national level, on a corporate level, to where in some sense at some times when a leader would sin, it would bring punishment and consequences that would trickle on down even onto the innocent people in that nation. But when you're dealing with a a national group or a corporate group like that, some of that is inevitable. Just to simply illustrate it, if a parent doesn't work, is the parent the only one that goes hungry? No, the child doesn't eat. The family shares in the consequences, even though it's the parent who's guilty of negligence and not the child. And so there were times throughout Israel's history where Israel's leaders would fail And Israel as a nation would suffer from that. Nevertheless, God still emphasized through his prophets what his philosophy was on all of that. 
that he ultimately did not hold an individual responsible for someone else's transactions or transgressions, excuse me. You know very well, I imagine, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, where God says through Ezekiel, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. And he clarifies that the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon themselves, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon themselves. So God is, is trying to help the people of under, Israel to understand when they think they've been unfairly punished that, listen, this is my philosophy about judgment. I'm not going to hold you responsible for somebody else's sins. The consequences may be far-reaching. You may have to experience some of those. But as far as it goes between your, your spiritual standing and I, you're going to be judged for their, your sin and they're going to be judged for theirs. You're responsible for you. The soul that sins shall die. And that is a blessing and a benefit with this concept of individual responsibility. It's something the New Testament also talks about. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17, Peter says, If you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So God is someone who is going to judge us on the basis of, of, of our decisions, not someone else's. And ultimately what that means is that you and I are going to stand before God as individuals. And the wrongdoings of the person sitting next to you, the wrongdoings of, of those in your family, the wrongdoings of, of others in, in the church you're a part of, what have you, all that's not going to be held against you. I'm going to be held accountable for my own actions, my own choices. And that's something that's positive about this, this idea of individual responsibility. But another aspect of it, though, is, of course, the other side of the coin, and that is that somebody else can't be righteous for you. They can't obey God for you and obtain favor from God for you. So in the same way that someone else's sins cannot be held against you, somebody else's righteousness cannot be accepted for you. It doesn't work that way either. In Acts 2, in verses 38 through 41, where you have somewhere around 3,000 plus people on the day of Pentecost be baptized into Jesus, there are a lot more people around there than just 3,000 folks. There are tens of thousands of Jews there on Pentecost. But 3,000 or so of them believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And 3,000 or so of those chose to obey his will and be baptized into him. And the fact that some in the crowd were baptized into Jesus didn't mean that any of the rest of them were somehow saved. It's not how it works. So each person has to choose to respond to the message that the apostles were teaching on that day. Each individual was to choose to believe that Jesus was the Christ, that they had crucified the Messiah, and to repent of that and confess their faith in him and be baptized into him. And then each individual had his or her sins washed away by the blood of the Messiah who had died on that cross and in whom they now believed. So when we're talking about our, our, our service to God as Christians, the work that we do for him, somebody else can't serve God for me. And I somehow be included in the in the the credit, if you will, for that. 
Um, in Revelation chapter 3, uh, I want to read from Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Um, as John is recording the words that Jesus has him speaking to these different churches of Asia, when Jesus addresses the church at Sardis, I want you to know what he says. So in Revelation 3 and verse 1, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And this is what are his words. I know your works. I know them. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. But then notice verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So you see the picture there, right? There's a congregation of Christians there at Sardis, and there are a few of them who have not sullied their garments. There are a few of them who are living in accordance with the teachings of Christ, who are doing what's right. But here are all these other ones in that church who are not living by the teachings of Jesus. And you'll notice, even though he's addressing the congregation as a whole, he makes it clear that on the one hand, those few who are faithful, God's not going to hold them responsible for the majority who aren't following the teaching of Jesus. But on the other hand, Neither is he somehow going to allow all of those in the church at Sardis who are not following his teaching to somehow be given, again, credit, if you will, for the few good ones who are. It doesn't work that way. So what I think that ought to impress upon us is that even if we are blessed to be a part of a congregation where near as we can tell things are good, and it's a good work, And there are good worship services. And there's good teaching. And good edification. And people are doing things. And people are growing. And especially the congregation is growing. That even if all of that good is going on. If you are not as an individual. Doing your part. Of what God holds you and I responsible for doing then the fact that everyone around us seems to be doing well is not going to somehow count for me. I think this is one of those lessons where every point we've made so far, intellectually, is pretty obvious. Um, I think this is stuff we all know pretty straightforward, at least as far as the concept is concerned. Someone else's sins don't count against me. Someone else's righteousness doesn't count for me. I think everyone knows that. But I also think that somehow in the midst of the moment, it's very easy to come in here on the Lord's Day, see a congregation that seems to be doing pretty good, worshiping with their hearts, 
and become complacent and get to thinking maybe even without really thinking through those specific words that since I'm a part of a group that's doing good, I must be doing good. Since the group is doing well, then I myself must be doing well. And maybe you are, but maybe you aren't. And it all depends on you. So we talk from time to time about the, um, the good singing that we have as the worship services get started. Or the, the, the service as a whole that's been encouraging and uplifting and those things. Um, but if I wasn't paying attention during that song service... And I don't mean when the, one of the young hooligans, you know, grabs your attention for a little while. I mean, because your mind's just elsewhere. And especially, you know, when you can come in here and you just, you're here because you're supposed to be here, but you're not really here. And instead of my mind offering up the praises of God, it was somehow elsewhere. And I'm really thinking about something else. And I wasn't in, in, in mind and in spirit worshiping God. Then the fact that the congregation worshiped. With, with great devotion that day doesn't mean that God was pleased with my offering because I didn't worship with devotion and God looks at us individually and the fact that my brethren participated in the Lord's Supper and honored Christ's sacrifice in anticipation of feasting with him in heaven or a very well thought out prayer was prayed and it led many's minds to the throne, throne of God and all of that was, was beneficial for the group. If my mind was elsewhere, then I wasn't thinking about my Lord and his death and his sacrifice and, and going before his throne as we prayed and giving him the worship he's due. Then as far as God is concerned, as meaningful as it was for the congregation around me, it was meaningless for me. And again, it isn't a credit-based system, but I don't get any credit. For that wonderful hour of worship. Because it wasn't a wonderful hour of worship for me. It was an hour of my heart and my head being somewhere else. It may be that everyone worshipped God acceptably on that day. But if I didn't, I'm not going to get lumped in with the group and get credit too. And that is just the nature of Christianity. It is the nature of how God deals with us. And again, that's why Paul says to the Philippians that they need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Because ultimately, it is an individual's responsibility. And again, it's easy to, to know this. I think everyone knows this, but it's really easy to lose sight of it also. It's easy for people to see the good that's being done around them and think that they're a part of that, even contributing to that good, and that therefore they must be good too. Because they're there and good is happening around them. That is not the way God views it. And it is sometimes, sometimes it's relatable the way a person gets to thinking, but other times it's just kind of shocking. Um, I've had conversations with folks who were not at all living right at that moment. But they think since they were brought up and raised uh, with, with, with godly parents, and, you know, they're just, they're, they're just wayward right now, but they're going to get back to it because this, 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 this is the way they've always lived. And they know one day they're just struggling right now, trying to get their lives back together. But overall, they're a pretty decent person. And, you know, I was, I was raised in the church, they'll say, and, and you know, I, 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 they, they don't seem worried at all. 
Or sometimes they'll tell you about a few good things they did once growing up, expecting that to serve as a defense of the choices they're making now. Um, a number of years ago, I spoke to a woman about her marriage to a man that she had no right to. And she didn't want that subject brought up. So to try to get that subject shut down, before she promptly hung up on me, she right away mentioned in a very hustled fashion, I, I appreciate you're a pastor, she called me. I appreciate that you're a pastor. And in the past, you know, I, I know where you're coming from. I've, I've, I've gone to some Christian youth camps. I've even helped out them with them before. So we don't need to talk about my marriage. As if my response was going to be something like she must be expecting God's to be of, you know, I see that you lived your life in sin, but there was that one week where you helped serve ice cream to some kids at a Bible camp. Well done, good and faithful servant. Or maybe they take you back to how their parents were Christians. Now, I was raised this way, and what they're really getting at is, you know, I've, I've been around the church since childhood. My parents were godly people. I, I've just been around the church and the Bible so much that it's just, it's a part of me, no matter how much it doesn't look that way. As if that somehow creates a, 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 a pass, as if you've now got, you know, carte blanche to just live as you want because of those years where you may have lived faithfully. Of course, you never find a passage that backs up that thinking. And if you'll search for them, you'll just keep tripping over blatant warnings to the contrary. But then, to kind of move on, if we can understand all of that, if we can understand the extreme, where someone needs to recognize their personal responsibility before God, and what all of that means for them, then that's one side of the spectrum. But I do want us to understand something else. And that is that part of our individual responsibility is to see the obligation that we have to others and not just to ourselves. So sometimes you can so highlight one point that it approaches an extreme and you lose sight of something else and you can become imbalanced in the other direction. So specifically, you can so emphasize the individual aspect, your personal responsibility before the Lord, that, that God judges us as an individual, an individual, an individual, that you might forget that God gives individuals collective responsibilities. God gives us responsibilities to look towards other people and see the needs of those other people and work with other people. And all of that's part of what God gives us as our individual task. So obviously one very key aspect of that is in the local congregation. Uh, when you look at passages like 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17, that say, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And then he explains, This is my rule. This is my instruction, my teaching in all the churches. I cite this verse for you because it's a text that emphasizes the individual and how the individual needs to let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. So how an individual needs to walk. But then also Paul says, this is my instruction to all the churches. So Paul's words imply that your, your, your group identity and how an individual is part of a local congregation and they're meeting together with and working with other Christians of like precious faith in that local area. Paul's talking to in, an individual, but then he says, this is what we teach all Christians, all congregations. 
So the individuals in each of those congregations have their own personal responsibilities. But what you also see in the New Testament is always individual Christians who have banded together with other Christians in their area and have become a unified group. And the reason why I would emphasize that is because, again, from previous conversations, and maybe even you know some examples like this too, there are sometimes Christians who have so emphasized the individual aspect of of our responsibility before God that they act as if they don't have really much at all responsibility in regards to a local congregation. As if that's just kind of icing on the cake and right now they're just going to take the cake dry. That's not true. When you look at the New Testament, you see wherever the gospel is preached, wherever individuals are baptized into Christ, they then worked and worshiped together with others who had also been baptized into Christ in that area. It's always the case. And yet I can attest to the fact that there are Christians who minimize this whole concept of local church membership and their responsibilities as an individual to others, to the group. There was um, a place that I preached a number of years ago. There was a couple there. They had, um, uh, the husband had been an elder and she a shepherd's wife, which um, if you are close with either of our shepherd's wives, or for those of you two who are, you know that you might not be the elder, but there's still a lot of responsibility that comes along with that, a lot of spiritual maturity that's required of you when your husband takes upon himself that role of service. Um, so I kind of went into it expecting them to be not perfect Christians, of course, but some of the stronger ones in the group. And then she got discouraged by some of the things that were going on with the congregation. They were discouraging. But her her response to that was basically to stop worshiping with the group for about two years. And throughout the time I would meet with her and talk with her about her need to, to stop that and get her life right and repent before God. And as far as she was concerned... She was, you know, she was still pursuing godliness in her own time. She was still studying the word of God. She was still praying. She was trying to to live a, a morally sound life and follow the teachings of Christ in her own life. So she didn't have anything to repent of. I'm still a Christian. I'm still very spiritually minded. But the kind of view it as just their own pursuit of godliness and the time that they spend serving the Lord. Never mind any... Uh, Uh, obligation to others whatsoever. And I'll tell you, yeah, there were some extremely discouraging things going on at that congregation. One of which was someone not showing up for two years and thinking everything was still all right. As it happens, that was a little bit discouraging. You never read in the New Testament of someone who was there with other Christians and yet not meeting with them and not working with them. And just kind of doing things on their own. I'm faithful before God, so I'm good. That's not God's plan. That's not the concept of the church that God established. And yet you have those who claim to be citizens of the kingdom. And yet I guess they think they've got their own little state or piece of ground in that kingdom. And then the population is one. They have this idea that they don't have to be a member of a local congregation. They can just be Christians at large. 
And that's not the New Testament pattern. It's not the New Testament concept. Or what the first century apostles of Jesus Christ were ever teaching. And something that kind of dovetails from all of that is that it's not just a matter of making sure that, that okay, well, I understand that I need to be a part of a local congregation, so I'm going to make sure that, that, that I, you know, I'm considered a part of that group. I'm going to attend enough so that I am. I'm going to make sure that my, my, my family or I've got a spot in the directory that comes out each year. It's a matter of realizing the all-important and often neglected principle of Hebrews 10. Where the writer says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And he goes on to say, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then, as you know, this verse from every lesson that's ever been preached on the subject of attendance, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. It's a problem all the way back then. This is a passage that in a nutshell explains why it is that God deemed it important, commanded Christians, individual Christians to band together and regularly associate and worship together. He says it so they can consider how to stimulate one another to love and good works, to be thinking about others so they can encourage one another. And why did he command that? Because you and I, we all need it. It's absolutely what we need. So it's not just a matter of having my name on the directory or, okay, I understand that I can't, you know, I can't be like that person that skipped for two years. I get that. That's obvious enough. So, so I'm here from time to time. I, I try, I'm here as often as I can be, you know. And, and I've placed membership and I'm in that directory that's handed out and, 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 and I'm, I'm close enough that I'm, I'm pretty well up on current events. I know kind of what's going on with folks. They may not see me all the time, but I'm, I'm, I'm in at least close touch with the group. It's not that. It's a matter of actively doing what you need to be doing with other Christians to encourage them and stimulate them to love and good works. And note that a necessary part of love and good works for Christians is encouraging and stimulating your brethren to love and good works all over again. When you see congregations where the growth of, of both the individual members and then at times also the, the, the congregation as a whole in the sense of numbers and things like that, it, it, when it reaches that point of kind of cumulative growth, when that's taking place and, and building upon itself again and again and again, when you see groups like that, there's this passion burning in the hearts of many of the people around you. There's trust because you are soldiers in the trenches together. And what you're doing for others, they're doing for you. Now, you might have to start the ball rolling. That discouraging situation at the church, do you think it needed another piece of discouragement? It needed someone who saw the problem and said, all right, we're going to start fixing this. So you might have to be the one to start all that up. You might have to be the one that gets the ball rolling. But once it gets going, when the people of God determine to be that kind of group, it is a beautiful thing to see. And that's not a surprise. Because that's what God's plan is. And when you realize all of that, it should help us to see how the, the problem is when some folks minimize being involved with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They might not minimize the membership aspect of it. Their name is on that roster. But they're not especially involved. They're here and then they're not here. And then they'll be here again when everybody else is here. But it stops there. 
I can't tell as far as the New Testament is concerned that God has ever had as his concept that there would be individuals who are just a name on a roster, maybe even regular attendees, and, and, and therefore they're a member of a local church. The concept you always see in the New Testament is Christians who are actively assembling regularly and encouraging each other and involved in the collective work, seeking out what they can do. Not just, I'm, a he- I'm here, therefore I'm a part of it. But they're actively seeking out something they can do. Because this matters, and these people matter. And they're the most important people on this earth to me. And I'm going to step up, and I'm going to serve them, and I'm not going to let them down when it comes to stimulating them to love and good works and giving encouragement. And bonus, I get to receive it back from them. That's God's plan. A lot of Christians appreciate that and glory in it. But there are some who don't see it as a need. Perhaps they think maybe that is God's plan, but these people I'm with aren't going to get there. It's a discouraging situation. The only thing that you can be certain of with that kind of thinking, kind of like from Wendell's lesson this morning, where if you think you're going to fail, you're probably right. The only thing you can be certain of with that kind of thinking is that if they do get there, it'll end up being despite you, not because of you. So you can overemphasize the role of the individual. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be faithful. And I don't really have to worry about other folks there. But, uh, and the, but there is a failure to appreciate one's responsibility to their spiritual family members. Their spiritual family. And those are the ones who sometimes don't attend all that often. Who don't participate in the activities of the assembly. Or who are just kind of living on the periphery. And they're here but they're not involved. Or who only see and interact with their brethren during those assemblies, but almost never at all outside the rest of the week. The rest of the week is spent with the world. And I imagine everyone understands what I'm talking about. That kind of mentality, if I see it as me, and I don't really identify myself or see myself as an absolute part of this group, and therefore having responsibilities. I'm here. I'm serving the Lord. If I need some encouragement, they're here for me. And what about you for them? The group is something they come to. But not something that depends on them. Only it does. It does. Because a group can't exist unless people look outside of themselves to others. And so the the whole concept is that you and I need to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling, most certainly. But a major part of that is our involvement with other Christians and the relationship that we have with them. One of our individual responsibilities is to others. And that's absolutely a part of God's plan and his purpose. And that's because God knows that you and I all need that. And we ought to thank God for his wisdom in all of that, not second guess it. If I might be quite open, I hope I could do it if it were just me. But that whole discouraging situation that that, that one lady was talking about, it was pretty discouraging. It was hard. So I I really hope I could do it if it were just me. Because it's truly not just you, right? It's you and the Lord always, even if there's no one else there with you. It was hard. 
So it's never just me. There's always the Lord there with you if you're living faithfully for him. But I'll tell you right now, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ. I need them. And I need to look to heaven with someone looking with me. It makes more difference than I have the ability to describe. And that's part of why it's so important for you and I not to allow ourselves to have a concept of of peripheral Christianity, if you will. Because that kind of Christianity is not the Christianity of the Bible. It's not what God's plan was. And if that's what I'm thinking, then I haven't gone far enough in my understanding of what being a Christian is all about. And I desperately need, if anyone does, the example of other Christians to try to follow that and follow what God's word teaches. So I will tell you, I bring up this subject not because I believe this group is failing at it. I don't think you are as far as I can tell. Um, I think some of us know that we may be individually failing in this regard. And I do hope that if you need to change your definition of Christianity and the way that you've been living it to match up with God's plan of a group of Christians that work together, I hope you'll do that. As a group, on the whole, at least as far as I can tell, I believe we do well looking out for one another and and truly doing what it takes to consider one another and how to stir up each other. And so the purpose of this lesson... Uh, as well is also just to encourage us to excel still more. Because it can always be even better than it is, even as blessed as I believe we are with the group that we have here. So this lesson's been more about living as a Christian, not so much about becoming a Christian, but perhaps you need to respond this morning to the, the good news of Jesus Christ and become a disciple of him. Perhaps you need to become a part of the kingdom and the family of God and and, and take up the mantle of responsibility both towards your Lord and towards your new brethren. And if we can assist you in doing that, if you would like to study together about what the Bible says a person must do to be saved, become a Christian, we would love to help you. We'd love to study with you and do that. And we can set up uh, a time for that today and even talk about that today, if you like, or throughout this week. And we can do it as as COVID conscious as as you desire. If you know what the Bible teaches about becoming a Christian and you're ready to repent of your sins and confess your faith in him and be immersed into him to have your sins washed away, we can assist you in doing that right now too. However, we can help you take responsibility before the Lord. Please let us know while we stand inside.